0: First of all, it's wonderful to be with you, and especially amazing to be with you on a day like today when you're sitting under your new roof, or part thereof. There's more to come. But I first of all want to say this, when Sue and I actually really love this church, we really love you people. I love to worship with you. Dale and music team, wherever you guys are, thank you. I met with God this morning through your worship. Um, as we sang certain songs, uh, I just couldn't help myself but tear up at the goodness and kindness of God. When, when we sang the words of that song, Reckless Love, I've sung it before somewhere. But as I sit here and I think, you know, some people don't like singing songs that are about us. Like God's loving me, God's pursuing me. God treasures me, God thinks of me, because we think worship is when we only are singing to God, like, God, you're holy, God, you're beautiful, God, you're amazing. But actually, like they also wonderfully said, we mustn't minimize what worship is. You see, because when when I sing a song where I think of his love for me, I'm telling you, I am loving him back so much, like I can't contain what I'm feeling inside for him. That's worship. So, don't be so legalistic about this, what kind of words you need to sing. Let your heart worship. Let your spirit worship. No matter where you are, let just worship. Let it flow from you. Don't have to sing. us, you don't have to actually sing. Some people hate singing. One of my friends who's a pastor hates singing. I always I find it amusing. I say, dude, so much of like our like meeting on a Sunday is like singing. He says I hate it, but he says I love worshiping because <laughs> because he can't sing. Yeah. But really, thank you. And and while we we're singing that song, I suddenly thought of this. I thought, I thought of the people out there. See, you 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 have to realize you are launching into a new season. Now, it's there's a practical aspect to it. It's like you were meeting there, and in a few months' time, you will be meeting here always. So there, there's a new season. There's a new mindset. There's a new um, there's a new experience coming. But you know what? All of your meeting, all, all of what you do is about God revealing himself to us and this world. And when he reveals himself, we respond and we have this relationship with him. That's what that's what Christian. it's about this relationship with a living God who is so good and so kind, who overwhelms us with his love. But while we were worshiping, I was thinking, God, right now out there, there are there are Millions. There are millions. Now, no matter what they're doing, no matter what they're thinking of, no matter how far from God they are, no matter what foes they are, like these words, before they think of God, God thought of them. Before I thought of God, God thought of me. While I was an enemy of God, Christ died. While I was a foe, His love pursued us. His love was demonstrated in Christ. I thought, God... There are so many people out there who need the revelation of the love of God. It's His loving kindness that leads us to repentance. It's nothing else. His loving kindness. And when you and I have the revelation of that, and we are basking and bathing and drowning and sinking in the revelation of God's intense and fiery, roaring love for us, we carry that love wherever we go. And we will impact people, not even by trying. We will impact by the fact that God is in us. God is in us and He is with us. And I want to talk a bit more about that in a short while. But I, while we're worshiping, I suddenly had a flashback to something that happened a while ago. And when I have that, I know God wants to tell somebody. I am by nature more optimistic. If I see a mountain, I go, awesome, let's climb it. A couple of, probably about two, three weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, I was trying to sleep. I I went to sleep and then I woke up. It's one of the worst things that can happen to me. And then I wake up and now I'm trying to get back to sleep. And while I'm trying to get back to sleep, I'm suddenly feeling discouraged. I'm not by nature, like... It's not my nature. It's not who I am. And I suddenly start to think of all the problems I'm facing. And all this, and, and God, what are we going to do there? And God, what's going to happen here? And how is this going to be solved? And, and the longer I stay in this place, the more discouraged I'm getting. And I'm actually feeling now, I'm feeling like I'm losing the battle. And I hate to lose. I'm very competitive. I'm, I'm losing it, God. And I felt, God, I've got to get up and do something. And I didn't feel like worshiping. And I didn't feel like reading the Bible, but I got up and I went downstairs into the lounge downstairs and it's all dark and I took my little iPad because in the hope I'm going to get the courage to read, but I put it down and everyone else is sleeping blissfully and I'm alone in the lounge downstairs and my heart's feeling discouraged and I felt the Holy, when I say I feel the Holy Spirit, it's like something happens in me where, where, where the Lord says, Remember me through all the days of your life. So I stop and I start to think of when I was a little boy. And it's like suddenly God reminds me of times and moments when His faithfulness saved me. When His faithfulness healed me. When I was in a car accident and I thought the holiday was over. And we're stuck in the trans car, and the car's wrecked. And His faithfulness... Make somebody drive from a with another car so we can continue on our holiday as a family. And his faithfulness here, and his faithfulness there, and his faithfulness here, and his, and suddenly I felt my heart getting courage. God is good. No matter what I'm facing, his faithfulness will deliver me. And some of you need to so sit down and remember the faithfulness of God to you through the ages. Because you've forgotten, you're so overwhelmed by this and that, and this, and that, and your heart's losing courage. God is faithful. He is so faithful. Let there be a reawakening of that in your heart, because it will give you courage to face whatever is in your way. So for somebody, that's for you. Right, I want to talk to you this morning. Just got to get this thing on quickly. After that short interlude, I'm back. I want to talk to you this morning about a massive transition that Jesus was forewarning his disciples about. Transition isn't always easy, and some transitions can be quite overwhelming. I want to talk about a massive transition. Jesus is warning his disciples that he's about to leave them. Their world is about to change, like, completely. I'm not talking a little bit, I'm talking radically, completely. And I want to read to you from John Chapter thirteen, and we can look at a few verses in John fourteen, and I want to I want to um, frame it in this thing about transition. So John thirteen and verse thirty two, no, no, verse thirty three. Little children, Jesus says, little children, yet a little while, and I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Something hinders them from going to where he's about to go. No matter how hard they try, it is impossible for them to go where he is going to go, to do what he's going to do. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Verse 34. But a new commandment I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, so also love one another. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. He changes it now. Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. So right now where I'm going, you can't come. But actually, in a short while, you'll be able to come. But I've got to do something before you can come. Okay, you got the picture? Very next, um, well, a few verses on. Chapter 14, verse 1. So it's the same thread now, okay? He's following with the same thread. He says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You see, we have to understand this. Jesus lived his life as a man. That's why he will say, believe in God, believe also in me. He equates himself with God, but he doesn't say, he doesn't use the terminology always that that we are the same. But he says, if you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. This has got relevance, and I'm going to share it with you in a moment, because we sometimes think Jesus was on spiritual autopilot. It was impossible for him to ever let the Father down. Now, you that's going to sound like it's blasphemous to some of you. It's like he just did what the Spirit of God led him to do. He, now, you see, he, he wasn't. He was a man like you and I, tempted in every way as we are yet without sin for a little while he was made lower than the angels philippians 2 says but he emptied himself taking upon himself the form of a servant becoming a man even humbling himself to death death on a cross and when you read the book of hebrews which we'll read just now you'll see some amazing things so he he's a man who whose will was fully surrendered to his father His loving surrender to his father enabled him to flow completely, bringing the will of God. So that Isaiah 53 verse 10 says, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. It's like the will of God flourished in what he did. And he overcame and he made, he was able to do what was impossible for us to do so that we could go to where he was going. All right. So now back to verse 1, 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's House are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Where I'm going, you can't come now. But in a while, you'll be able to follow me. Where am I going? I'm going to prepare a place for you. Right? You all with me so far? Haven't lost anybody? Verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will Come again. And I will take you, not to that place. I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may also be. Now this is where it can get a bit tricky. He says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. In my father's house or many rooms. But I will come back. And when I come back, I will take you To myself, that where I am, you may also be. Where was he? He was standing right in front of them in the natural. Where was he in the spirit? Where was he in the spirit? He was one with his father. He lived a life fully and completely yielded, but the access for you and I into the father was not yet open. Because of this massive, massive problem that separated us from God. But He was about to do it once and for all and to open up to every one of us, for all humanity who ever will enter, to come and live in the Father's house. When He lived His life on earth, He lived and He walked one with His Father. He said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I only ever do what I see the Father doing, I only ever speak what He tells me to speak. All the miracles that you see, all the works, are because of the Father who dwells in me. And he says, I will come back and I will take you to myself. He was so one with his Father. He was about to go and do what no one else could do. And I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The destination is in heaven. The destination is the Father. But there was a problem. He said, you can't come where I'm going. That problem was the sin of the world. But he was about to go to a cross because of love. He says, no man forces me to do this. No spirit forces me to do this. I willingly lay down my life. I yield to the Father's will. Here was a man sinless because he lovingly surrendered. The will of the Lord prospered in his hand. And he went to the cross and he, he, hangs, on, he, he hangs on that cross and he takes upon himself this perfect lamb, the perfect one. He's, there is no sin in him. He has never, ever denied his father. You see, friends, he he overcame temptation. He even said, God, if there's any way, take this cup from me. In other words, he was wrestling with it as a man. I don't feel like doing this, but my Father's will will prosper. I will do whatever brings him glory because I know what I'm about to do. I will endure this cross for the joys that is set before us. I'm about to open up to all humanity, access into the Father. And he goes and he hangs on that cross and he takes upon himself all the punishment that was due, all the chastisement, the sickness, the disease, the condemnation, the shame, the guilt, a billion failures, like that song says. In a moment, a billion failures, he takes upon himself and he goes before the father. He says, father, is this enough? The father says, it is enough, my son. It is enough. He says, is this enough? It is enough. It is finished. And he cries out, it is finished. And in that moment he knows, I have made access available to any human being who would come. To whomsoever will believe. To whomsoever, no matter what they've done, no matter how bad they've been, no matter what they think, to whosoever will believe they can come in to the Father's house. I want to say God is a father. The destination is a father. The world has got no clue about fathers. We've all had episodes, encounters, experiences with what we think a good father should be. We all try, us who are dads, we try and be a good father. We don't always get it right. But I want to tell you God is nothing like any man. He is a good, good father. I saw... I heard a man tell a story. His name's Tony Fitzgerald. He told a story. Um, I heard it earlier this year, and it just awakened me to, it's the most beautiful picture. It happened to him. He was sitting in an airport. He was traveling overseas. He was tired. You know, you get tired and grumpy. I, I, I'm not the happiest in an airport. I'm much happier when I'm riding a bike or surfing or doing something like that. But anyway, he's sitting in an airport. You know those, like a concourse, you sit on those benches here, yeah? or like a chair type thing. And about, probably over here, there's someone else facing you. You know what I'm talking about? He's sitting there, there's a mother and daughter sitting there. He's quite a big guy, sitting in his chair. He's an apostolic leader around the world. He's an amazing guy. He says, he's sitting there and there's a little girl, maybe about four, five years old, six years old, I don't know, with her mother. And the little girl jumps up and runs across to him and jumps on his toe. Think about how you would be. So he, he, he kind of is shocked. It's like, what? Did that just happen? And he, he kind of sits back, looks at this little girl. Little girl runs back to her mom, giggling. Says, Mom says, you mustn't do that to the man. You know, one of those. Anyway, he's, he's sitting there like thinking, did that just happen? Like, whatever. Anyway, the little girl jumps up a few moments later, runs across. And jumps on his toe a second time. Okay, this time he figures, I'm pulling my toes right back underneath my seat, that this is not going to happen again. Little girl runs back giggling to her mom. Her mom again goes, don't be a naughty girl. Don't do that to the man. He's thinking to himself, mother, will you get a hold of your daughter so she doesn't do these things? But he doesn't do anything. He just sits. She jumps up for a third time, but now his feet are tucked right back, so she can't jump on his toes. She runs up to him, and she pushes him in the chest. And he just sits there, big eyes, looks at her. She runs back, giggling, to her mom. Mom says, I told you to leave the man alone. He says, for the fourth time, she stands up, but this time she walks. She walks across looking at him. She stands in front of him. She says, are you my dad? You see, she'd never ever met anybody with such patience, with such kindness, who didn't react, who didn't hit her, who didn't shout at her, who didn't embarrass her, who didn't push her away, who just absorbed, who just had space for more. And he realized from that moment on, his mission on earth was going to be to reveal the heart of the Father to people. See, we don't know what the Father is. The people out there, we, they don't know what the Father is. When What Jesus has done for us is He has taken us into His Father's house. This, this scripture, and I, and I can prove it to you, is not about one day when you die and you go to heaven, there's a place for you. We preach that at the funerals all the time. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Because He says... In, in 14 verse 20, let me read it to you. Um, he says this. I will not leave you as orphans. This is verse 18 of chapter 14. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. There's another scripture that says the same thing. Let me see if I can find it quickly. Um, This is verse 28. You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I'm going to the Father. The Father is greater than I. He He knew where he was going. He knew how awesome his Father was. And he was so passionate, he would endure anything that it took to get there, to do the job, to open it up so that you and I could come. And he would come back and take us to be in that same place of oneness with his father. You and I are called to live in his house. He's not a judge where you live in a courtroom. He's a father who has space for you in his heart. You were meant to live at home in the father's house. You were, you were designed and created by God to know Him so intimately. where you, you lived in this place where you're overwhelmed by His love. You are so deeply rooted in His love. You are established in His grace. You know He loves you. He loves you no matter what. He is patient. Love is patient. He is kind. Love is kind. His loving kindness leads us to repentance. He is not arrogant. Love is not arrogant. Love is not boastful. Love is not rude. Love endures all things. From that little girl. Love endures all things. Love believes all things. I still believe in you, even though you're being a little brat. I still believe in you. I still have hope in you. I still love you. Love endures all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love never fails. When you come into this house, and you find your place, your room, so you've got your own room, you belong. And the brothers and sisters around you in this home, it's the Father's house. Jesus said this. He said, if you love me, then we will come to you in the same, ver- the same chapter and we will make our home with you. For those who love me, we will come and I will manifest myself to you. It's like there's so much depth of intimacy and relationship that God has opened up for us to enter into. And you can have as much of the Father As you desire. For Jesus puts no limit on it. He has removed every limit. That separates you from the love of God. And nothing any longer. Is able to ever separate you again. From this love. That he has invited you into. To come and dwell with him. But the question is this. Are you home? Right now in your heart. Are you home in his father's house? Because you can be sitting. In a church. And not be home. In Father's house. He has opened the way. He does not treat us like our sins deserve. But he says, I've made a space for you. Come home to my house. Now let's look at a few more verses here. From this John chapter 14. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 7. If you had known me you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know Him and you have seen Him because I and the Father are one. I've yielded my life entirely to Him. He lives in me, I live in Him. And I've come to take you now to myself. That's what He came back to do. Yeah, let me get back to that point. So He said, in a little while, you'll look for me, but you you won't find me. But then I'll come back to you. A few verses later He says, the world will see me no longer, but you will see me. The others out there won't see me again, but you'll see me. We know for a fact that when he rose again from the dead, once he'd appeared before the Father. Um, in fact, let me go there. John, John chapter 20. Um, let's just quickly go to John chapter 20. I find this fascinating. John 20, and let's look for... Let's start in verse twelve. Mary Magdalene runs to the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been laid, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to a woman, "Why are you weeping?" She said, "They've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. In a little while, you won't see me." Having said this, she turned around and she she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to a woman, "Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking?" supposing it was the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him and she said to him, Rabbani, which means teacher, I recognize that voice. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and sisters and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. But don't touch me yet because I haven't gone. I haven't gone to prepare a place for you yet. But go and tell them I'm about to. And when I do this, he will no longer just be my God. He will be my God and your God. He will be my father and your father because I'm inviting you into my house now. I'm removing every barrier and every obstacle. But don't touch me yet. I haven't gone. At the end of that day, let's carry on reading. So that was in the morning sometime. On the evening, verse 19, of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad. Now he's showing them. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you know what he said a few verses earlier in chapter 14? He said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send the Spirit to you. He will be with you, and he will be in you. Right now, because of what he's done, and I'm going to, From morning, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to the Father. In the evening, I breathe on you. He's now in you because I've done what I needed to do. I've opened the way. I've removed the barrier. Now, the spirit of the living God can be inside of you because the price has been paid. So he breathes on them. Now, we know that's not the outpouring of Pentecost, but that's the first time he's actually saying, but he's going to be in you. And he breathes on them. Then, Thomas. We know Thomas arrives, Thomas doubts. They said to him, hey, we saw Jesus, there's no ways. Unless I touch him, I won't believe. You know the story, don't you? How many of you know the story of doubting Thomas? What happens a few days later? Thomas arrives. What does Jesus say? Give me your hand, Thomas. Can you feel that? Said to Mary, Don't touch me. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But now I've come back. I've done what I needed to do. It is finished. The doors are open. You can come in now. Touch me. It's complete. It's over. You see, something happened in those hours where he appeared before the Father. He said, It is finished. That changed everything for humanity. It means you and I now have the privilege of being fully sons and daughters of God. It means we now have the privilege of being the temple of the Spirit of God. It means we now live in this beautiful grace of God. We now have the power of God to be witnesses. And it goes on and on and on. But it's just amazing to me that these that, that suddenly they can receive the Holy Spirit. Suddenly they can touch Him because something has taken place. I want to go back to John 14 and then I want to land this. Um, John 14, um, let's think where we were. He says this in verse 10, when he's speaking to Philip, he says, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And I, want to, and I want to just put in perspective again this transition. They had seen Jesus do amazing things. They had, they had experienced something of those things. Jesus said, go, cast out demons, heal the sick, do this stuff. And they did it. Now Jesus says this amazing thing. I'm going to read it again. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Every work that they saw Jesus do was done by his oneness with the Father who was in him. I believe that from that scripture. It wasn't that Jesus was a superman a spiritual superman, it was that I and the Father are one. And now I've invited you into this oneness. He has given us, Peter says, these very great and precious promises that that through them you may participate in the divine nature. You are now in. You're no longer locked out of the house. You're at home in the Father. He says, all the works that I did was the Father doing His works through me. Look at the next verse. Verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. So you can, all the stuff I've done is because of the Father in me. You can either believe what I'm saying about us being one or you can believe at least because you've seen the miracles and you've seen the works of God. Verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Because when I go to the Father, I am going to complete all that needs to be done. I'm going to open up to you now every opportunity to do what I've been doing because sin will be removed and you're adopted into my family as a son. You are now empowered to live like I live, out of oneness with me. Every work of God done by any Christian flows out of what God, who who God is inside of us. It flows out of our oneness. So now, these works, these these things God says we're going to do. He says, and greater works than these you will do because I'm going to the Father. I want to just check something here. Um, just looking at these scriptures here. I want to end off by, by just really, in a sense, opening up to you the, the beautiful experience God gives you now to live out of this place. How many of you have been um, have looked at that verse where Jesus says, "The works that I've done, you will do, and greater, because I go to the Father." How many of you have read that and go, "Not me." Be honest, I have. You're comparing me to Jesus, so that's, that's what you're saying, like Jesus. Um, if I just think of a few things, okay, walking on water, it's pretty cool, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead after being dead for so many days, wow, how many dead have I raised? Nought. Um, I've seen a few miracles, but you saying, I'm going to do greater works than these, disconnect. How many of you honestly have a disconnect there? A lot of us do. I think a lot of it's got to do for me with two things. What enabled Jesus to do all the stuff he did? For me, there's two major things. Let's let's say three major things. Number one, the Spirit of God came upon him when he was baptized, and the Spirit of God remained didn't just come upon him and leave, came upon him and it it, it remained, it indwelt him. That sets him apart from most people living in that day and age. Number two, he walked as one with his father. The third part is linked to the second. In other words, his life was a loving submission to the will of the father being done through his life. And he lived as a man. See, here's your disconnect. Here's my disconnect. If Jesus did these miracles as the Son of God, how can I ever do them? But if Jesus did them as a man who lovingly allowed the will of God to prosper in his hands, like Isaiah said, he surrendered his will. He said, not my will be done, but yours. And so through his life, the Father's will was flowing into a world where the will of God wasn't being done. It gives me hope that as a man, yielded to God, having received the access that Jesus opened up to live one with the Father. Now, Father in me, I in him, Christ in us. You know, John 17, go and read it. I'm in you, as you're in me, as I'm in the Father, I pray that all of us will be one. Like, I'm in him, and him, in, it's, just, it's amazing oneness. If we have the revelation of God in me, and I'm in him, because Jesus went before the Father and appeared, and has opened it up. Now, I can do the works that he's done. Because the works flow out of our, the, the power of the unity we have with God. I know, I know like I know, he's in me. So God, when I do this, you, you're doing it. When I'm trusting you for this miracle, you're doing it. Now these works, let me just say this, these works. Do not minimize the works to only... The miracles of healing. Healing is vital and it's Jesus and it's kingdom. And it's vital for this day and age. But when, I'm going to say this honestly, when Jesus forgave and didn't condemn the woman caught in adultery, that was a work of God breaking into the earth. When you forgive somebody, though they deserve shame and condemnation, it is a work of God being done. It is, it is the will of the Father being done through your life. It's a greater work. When you lay hands upon the sick and they are healed, it is a great work. When you have faith, when it looks impossible and you trust God to break through and it happens, it is a great work. These are the works of God, the will of God being done in our normal daily lives that God wants us to do because we are one with Him. We're at home in the Father's house. He is in us and we are in Him. Now I want to just prove to you some things about Jesus' love. Listen to this. I'm just going to read a few verses as we close. Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 15. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Remember, I'm going to the Father. You can't come with me, but in a while you will. Who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I'm going to now say something that you might want to stone me for. That as a man, the son of man, remember he was son of God, son of man, that as the son of man, he had the potential to sin. But every time he was faced with that temptation, not once did he yield because he was so one with his father. He lovingly allowed the father's will to prosper in his life. And he lived the perfect life and then invited us into that life so that we can do the works that he did in greater because we were one with him. We were at home in his house. Listen to Hebrews 2 verse 9. For a little while he was made lower than the angels. It's a man. Philippians 2 7 But he emptied himself. He laid aside his majesty. Hebrews 5, 7-9. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. That sounds quite hectic. To him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Because of his submission. Not because he was a spiritual superman. Because he yielded to the Father, he was heard. He lived the perfect life and invites us into it. But he was a man when he did this. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience. Isn't that amazing? No, I just thought he was automatically obedient because he's the son of God. No, as a man, he yielded lovingly to the will of the Father in his life. And being made perfect, and being made perfect, not automatically perfect, and submitted to the Father, one with the Father, doing the will of the Father, being made perfect, listen to this, that's getting good, and being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him. Hebrews 2 verse 10, God made Jesus complete through suffering. So that many sons and daughters could come to glory through him. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to invite you into glory. The glory that he has given me, I'm going to give it to you. Because I'm going to prepare a place for you. He did it and then bring sons and daughters into that glory. So we can do the works that he did in greater. Hebrews 2 verse 17. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So I want to close with this. You are about to move into this. This is a, a physical house that God has given you. The power, no, the beauty of this is going to be amazing to you. You're going to you. You're going to find many people coming to visit. You're going to find people driving past and, because people are curious. They like new things. Yeah? Restaurants have got a shelf life. And then there's a new restaurant. Cheers, going there. Now, you don't want people doing that, but it's just the nature of human beings. But the key is this. When people come in, will they find a home? Will they find a people who are so in love with God, who are so patient, who are so kind, who have, who have the heart of a father that reveal there is space for you, even when you're behaving badly? God loves you so much. I'm here as a vessel to pour out his love through me. So all of that. Is going to be exciting having this building. But the most, most of church happens when you go out of the building. That's where you meet the people who aren't in church meetings. And those are the people whom God sent his only son for. And when you go there and you interact with somebody, whether it be at the school or at work or your next door neighbor or wherever it might be, and you carry this oneness, that you are one with Him. That Jesus has removed every barrier. That there is nothing that separates you from the love of God that is in Christ. And you are rooted and established in His love. And the love of God comes out of you when you interact with people. I'm telling you, friends, this w- the witness of this church into this community, the discipling of one another into this community, the loving of this community, it is going to impact this community so that the headlines of heaven which is so wonderfully shared by Anthony earlier. The headlines at heaven are Lifehouse Church. They are loving their community. Lifehouse Church have an amazing physical home where they gather and they eat together and they encourage each other and they remind each other of the people out there and the love of God. And they pour out there Monday through Saturday, Sunday afternoon, Monday night, and they're loving and they're loving and they're loving. The works of God will be done through His people who are one with him. Friends, there, are, there is such a harvest field. Acha. He is the Lord of the harvest. He is still the Lord of the harvest. He's not just the Lord of his church. He is the Lord of the harvest. This is his cosmos. This is his world. Th- those are his people too. Every person out there breathing. Breathes because of God's breath in them. Will you, Lifehouse Church. As you transition from one meeting place, it was hoy hoya, eh? to this place, but will you transition more internally in your heart where you are at home in the Father's house and you know He is with you and He is for you and you will not let little things get in the way and distract you from loving, from being a witness, from discipling, so that this church, local church, will multiply and other local churches will multiply because God loves this world. There is no limitation that Jesus puts on you, or me. That thing scares me. In a good way. You can have as much of oneness with God as you desire. I'll close with this verse. He is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek Him. Let's stand I'm going to pray with us now. This prayer that I'm going to pray now is not just something we do when you finish preaching. It is the posturing of our hearts before God so that we are able to receive all that God has made available to us. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you're the one who pours the love of God into our hearts. Holy Spirit, overwhelm us daily with the incredible love that the Father has for us. May our hearts be so rooted in this love. Every day is a day for your kingdom to come. Every day is a day for your love to flow out of our lives into those around us. Every day we have beautiful union with you. For the obstacles are gone, and the way is cleared, and your house is open, and there is room for us in your heart. And you are for us, not against us. And God, we position ourselves now to do what you've called us to do. To love, like you've called us to love. To reach a world who don't know Father. Who don't know love. Who only know performance. Who are so afraid. God, use us to partner with you. Send us out as laborers into your harvest field. In the name of Jesus, we want to know deeply we're at home with you. And invite other people in.